Have you tried Music to Code By yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1412, with guest Dan North. Recorded Wednesday, January 19th, 2017. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we are here still. At NDC in London. We like it here. We like it here. It's a fun place. We have a fishbowl. There's people talking and hanging out and lots of uh, food and coffee and geekery and all that stuff. Yeah. It's good. And we're getting to talk to some great people like Dan North, mm-hmm. who is here with us, and we'll introduce him for real in just a minute. But uh, first, we have this little matter of better Noah framework. Awesome. <laughs> Dude, what do you got? Free. That's right. I'm giving away millions of free Microsoft eBooks again. This is Eric Ligman, Microsoft Director of Sales Excellence. And the eBooks include Windows 10, Office 365, Office 2016, Power BI, Azure, Windows 8.1, Office 2013, SharePoint 2016, SharePoint 2013, Dynamic CRM, PowerShell, Exchange Server, System Center, Cloud, SQL Server, and more. Wow. Free ebooks. Okay. How many can you download? As many as you want. Wow, there's a lot listed. Is there any way to download them all at once? Yes. The link called Download All. Can I share a link to your post? Yes. <laughs> you say they are free, but what's the catch? There's no catch. They really are free. <laughs> Consider it a thank you for being a reader of my blog and a customer or partner of Microsoft. Nice. Next question. Okay, if they're free and you're encouraging us to share it, like people don't believe them, right? Yeah. Really, really free? Link? Really free? Free like a puppy. <laughs> no, <laughs> free like water. Uh, you know, c- can I post a link to your post here on sites like Reddit, Fat Wallet, and other deal share sites to let them know? Or is that asking too much? Please do. Can I link to your awesomeness? Okay yes. then. Are these time bombed version? No, these are the full eBooks. Okay, so one of two things happening. Either this guy is really, really generous, or these books really suck. <laughs> it's one <laughs> or the other. Well, they're kind of time-bombed in that one of them's like, you know, SharePoint 2013. Yeah. That's going to be useful as long as SharePoint 2013. Yeah, well, there's a lot of Windows 10 stuff, you know, and there's, I, I guess, a lot of books. Download them. Go, go get them. 
And uh, what is the link, you say? Well, this is show 1412, so if you go to 1412.pwop.me, you will get a link to all them books. Go get them. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off show 1257, the one we did with Mr. Dan North. Yeah. About a year ago, February 2016, we were talking about scaling Agile and using business mapping. It was a wow. brilliant, yeah. brilliant show. That was, that was a conversation, man. We were sitting right here. We were or, sitting right actually in this fishbowl with yeah. these very fish. Nothing has happened since then. No, it's, we've just been sitting here waiting to do it again this whole time. See, all the whole year, I just imagine you guys basically sitting here <laughs> waiting for the conference to just re-emerge around you. Yeah. yeah. What do you think that pile of bottles is out there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this comment comes from D Camper. I'm not sure what the D stands for, who says, I was looking forward to a conversation with Dan North and it, he wasn't disappointed. Mm-hmm. Oh, I completely agree with this issues of scaling agile, but I found Dan's recommendations a bit underwhelming because it kind of boiled down to two things, a framework for deciding what piece of work to start and when to stop and assembling a team based on skill set. Those are both important things, and so that's always about it. Okay, honestly, if we can start there and be that underwhelmed, I'd be delighted. Yeah, that's, <laughs> why are those two things let's, so hard? Let's start with the underwhelming. So the first one sounds sort of like a project. Yeah. This is, he said that most projects tend not to actually have endpoints. You know, it's, it's hard to figure out exactly what the endpoints are. And you never, but you never said the word project, I think, in that that whole conversation. Well, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. So, so the the. And this, this is a big part of the shift in thinking mm-hmm. is from, so I think a project is a way of batching money. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's saying, I want to spend X amount of money and I want to get Y amount of certainty that I will get this outcome based on that. Right. right. And which is completely doable if you're building something that's known. If I'm building a road or a bridge or a hospital or something like that, yep. I can have, there's an entire, uh, discipline called quantity surveying yeah where you go into a site and you look at how many square meters or square feet it is and you figure out how many tons of concrete you'll need and how many tons of ballast and all those kind of things right and then there's another whole uh henry gant um who is a a a pal of um oh who is him the chart the chap that came up with scientific management taylor frederick williams or taylor Uh, um they were pals uh, at uh, ford Uh, and uh and henry gant was uh, an engineer like a, a mechanical engineer. And he came up with you know, the Gantt chart. He came up with the idea that you're going to need, if I'm building a massive piece of infrastructure, I don't want electricians turning up when the walls haven't even gone up. Right, That's right. just crazy. But I also don't want to have a bunch of people waiting around because the material isn't there. Right. So there is a scheduling piece and they have critical paths and all that kind of These stuff. These are all based that on makes known sense things. Yeah. When you're on a civil engineering project. Yes. When you are continually evolving an organization... Um, whose entire premise might be changing yes. you know, under, underneath its feet. There's the, the, the classic um, line that, you know, th- there's no banks anymore. There's, there's technology companies in finance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and any, any bank that thinks it's still a bank is, isn't going to be around in you know, 10, 15 years' time. Yeah, right. They need to shift that thinking to we are a technology firm doing X. So with that premise, then there is uh, Barry O'Reilly, the, the, the co-author of uh, Lean Enterprise, he says, um, you know, you shouldn't be thinking of we're running a transformation program because it will never end. Right. Right. It's, I've been talking about the last transformation, right? You should now be starting, if you haven't already, the last transformation. Yeah. You start on this journey and you never, ever finish. No. And in the same way, what I want is where I have products in my organization, I'm continually 
venture funding, you know, incremental funding, uh, different kinds of work and different kinds of activity, and I'm measuring them, yep. which means I need to be working in small batches because otherwise I can't measure the impact in a timely fashion. I measure them and the ones that are working I keep doing and the ones that aren't I, I change. Right. So, so there isn't a start, there isn't an end. There's a continual funding of, of innovation. Right. But if, it if, provides value over time, too. Yeah. Like your value is going to keep popping out of this. Well, and this, that's absolutely the crux of it, is, is what's called risk-adjusted return. Right. So return on investment, I invest X, I get Y back. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, the million-dollar question is when. Right. Yeah, so if I have a traditional, you know, gated kind of plan-driven type project. Projects, then yeah then what I have is, is sunk cost all the way through, and then eventually at the end, I get hopefully I get a return. Right. If we cancel at any point through there, it's all sunk cost. Yes. Yeah. Whereas uh, if I do a little piece of work and I get some return, another little piece of work and I get some return, I'm continually offsetting the investment, which means I'm realizing that value sooner. So it's a much higher risk-adjusted return. Mm-hmm. What it is, ironically, is less cost-effective. Right, right. Which 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 upsets people when you go, oh no, agile's mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, is there's a transaction cost. Yeah. So every time I do a release, there's a transaction cost that I don't have if I do one big fat release at the end. Right. Yeah. Or at least I am. I I I have this big cost at the end. But you're more likely to succeed though if you do. You're much better. more likely to succeed. You're yeah. paying down risk at every step of the way through. Yeah, though. yeah. And and those. Those deployment costs have gone down dramatically too. This is not hugely expensive. Well, and this is the thing, and this is this is what's been really exciting over the last, I'm going to say, ten years. So, when what started as continuous delivery, um, then became DevOps, and is now moving to serverless. Almost, you know, it's like there's, yeah, there, right. there's there's I don't I almost don't need to be good at DevOps because Amazon is for me. Do right. you know what yeah. I mean? Or Azure is for me. I can I can I can I can offload that risk. I can have someone else being my data center. Um, that that pressure emerged because we were delivering in much smaller cycles. Yes. And so that put much more pressure on the downstream, on the release process, path to production. If I'm releasing once every 18 months, even once every three months, if it takes me a week to get something into production, it's embarrassing, but it's not critical. Yep. If I'm trying to do that several times a day, that's that's not going to cut it. Yeah. And so yeah. you gradually put pressure downstream on those, on those um, operation deployment pieces. And that's where your kind of DevOps movement emerges from is yeah. we need to drive down that transaction cost so we can be continually deploying. I think Richard's got to get through the rest of this message here. It sounds like we're getting oh, wow. into the we're content of the show. <laughs> I think you pretty much answered his question and totally. I know we're going to go a different direction on the show. Yeah, so totally. Mr. Camber, I hope that sort of addresses your concerns about are, are we really talking about projects? Clearly we are not. And there's more to go than that. But that's not going to stop me from sending a .NET Rocks mug yeah. to you. And so the mug is on the way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We're going to publish a book of them soon. <laughs> I mean, these and guys are totally worth following on Twitter. E- I promise you. An ebook. <laughs> ebook, yeah. And it's going to be free. Free. No, Wonderful. Maybe. I don't know. All right. So let me formally introduce Dan. Dan uh, North writes software and coaches teams and organizations in agile and lean methods. He believes in putting people first and writing simple, pragmatic software. He believes most software problems come back to communication and feedback, which is why he puts so much emphasis on getting the words right and why he's so interested in systems thinking, communication, and how people learn. Dan's been working in the IT industry for over 20 years, and he occasionally blogs at dannorth.net. 
Okay. So, I mean, that was a really nice summary of what we talked about last year. It was, actually. yes. Just and, this, uh, it all came flooding back. Yeah. There, yeah. Right there, we, we, you had that reaction of essentially, <laughs> oh, yeah, we were talking about this, and, and there we were. And, and for better or worse, with the, comment, the, the commenter's concern about, yeah, the, these are continuous flows. The, you know, they're not necessarily projects. But I do want to dig into this, this focus you have this, t- this year on this. I love the line, ops and operability, like mm. Jane Austen is rolling over. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, oh, bless her. Are you getting a little devoppy on me now, Dan? Is that what's happened to you? Well, I've, 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 been, I've been devoppy for, I'm going to say, upwards of 10 years. Right. Yeah. So um, a little bit about, I don't know if you know this part of my background, but so I was at ThoughtWorks um, for about eight years. And during that time, I... I actually, I convinced ThoughtWorks to hire their first um, specialist uh, operations engineer. Mm-hmm. So we, we invented this role uh, called an environments manager so we could hire this ops guy mm. who was fantastic. His name's Julian Simpson. Um, and and the, 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 the kind of the, the, receipt, the, the wisdom at the time was, oh, we don't need, you know, we don't need specific like uh, operations guys or, you know, release people or whatever. We, you know, all the developers know how to do that. Yeah. Right. And so anyway, we, we eventually got Julian in and, like you know, he just hit, hit first project, hit the second project, yeah. Uh, team and and the feedback was right. Can we just get another five like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now we get it, right? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. So okay. there is value in a specialist role. More of, yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the important thing that he was doing and still does to this day is he wasn't going in and doing stuff. He wasn't going in and fixing things. He was going in and showing teams how to do that for themselves. Yeah. Right. And this, I see this as. Um, in fact, I was just having this conversation with someone about. They said, oh, we, we were a very traditional organization. We've got developers and we've got operations. And we know DevOps is about bringing all these people together. Yeah. Um, but we've got developers and we've got operations. And right. we've got a you know, director of here and a VP of that. And they're not going to give up their silos. Yes. Is there anything that we can do um, given that constraint? And DevOps doesn't necessarily need to be operations and devs sitting there all singing Kumbaya together. Right. That's 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 a it's model. It's just sort of the summary of all the of all the roles that uh, people play in their in the operation. Yeah. So so really, what it's about, and it's back to, to something Rich mentioned a, a minute ago, is about flow. It's about I want to reduce the lead time mm. from I've I've had an idea, I've written some code that addresses that idea, mm. to it's now live and available. Yeah. Right. And that path to production. And there's a couple of ways to do that. One is you bring that skill into the team. So now, um, you know, Carl knows how to deploy this stuff yeah and it's not just the skill i i i, I always lean on dan pink actually you know, autonomy right. mastery purpose autonomy carries a whole bunch of quite subtle implications sure does autonomy doesn't just mean you got the keys to the kingdom right so it also means that you know what you're doing yeah right um and it means that you have so the authority to do what you're doing sure. and also that you have the means to do what you're doing so i think of it as like uh I want to fly. I want to fly a plane from London over to Paris. Mm. Okay, so or, or autonomy could be okay. So, uh, Carl, you have permission to fly to Paris. Great. I don't have a plane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Little That's details. Nominal permission. Yeah. Little details. And you go great. Okay. So, oh, m- I my got bad. A plane. Now I don't my know bad. how to fly. Here's a plane. Great. <laughs> I don't actually know how to fly a plane. Right. So you need all those three things. Yeah. So autonomy <laughs> is 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 all of those things. So that, that's one model, and, and is, is that those skills and capabilities are within the team. The other model is that you treat that capability as a utility, and it's completely self-serve. 
Mm. So I don't need that skill. I don't need to do monitoring to know how to do monitoring like Azure does, like right. Amazon does, because they've got that. Yeah. All I need to know is that I have that in the same way that I, I flick the switch and the light comes on. Yeah. I yeah. don't need to understand electricity. I need to trust the grid. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And what's happening is as we move m more and more towards utility computing, right up to, you know, this sort of serverless functions as a service, like um, uh, AWS Lambda, that kind of thing. Right. Is, um, is I'm starting to be able to lean more and more on commodity infrastructure as a utility. So I don't need those skills. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in where that's going to take DevOps in the next few years. Because sure. it's becoming more and more, you know, at, at, at some point, I'm sure, buildings needed someone who understood how the generator worked yep, and right. how the whatever. And, and now I don't have electricians in my office. No. But you probably do need somebody who knows the, the, the cloud platforms that you're working on and needs to keep up with all the policies and the, and the, you know, the configuration and all the changes and the. And it's a really fast moving space. It's fast moving. Sure. Yeah. And that person is a lot more effective now because they have more and more powerful tools that they actually don't have to have the expertise in, but they need to know how to control them. I guess flying the plane, you know, yeah, yeah, we yeah. still have to have a pilot, even though the, the plane is laden with technology. I, I, I got to tell you, I like the plane al analogy because the guy who flies the plane doesn't necessarily know how to build it either. Yeah, that's right. Well, well yes and no, because I think a lot of, uh, again, I don't fly planes, but, <laughs> but my understanding at least is that part of learning to fly a plane is you need to understand how a plane works. Yeah, you the, need to I understand the physics of it. The, the, the physics of it, but you also need to understand the basic mechanics of it. Yeah. So that if, if, if something on your instrument panel does suddenly start flashing red, you don't completely freak out. You know that that thing's connected to that you thing. You're losing you... fuel from over there and so you should probably... Do you know what I mean? You need to yeah. understand the, the basic infrastructure even though you don't. You need to know what a log file is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You don't know how it works, but you don't need to be able to build one from scratch. You don't need to, yeah. to build one from scratch, but you need to be able to reason about it. Sure. And I think there's a there's almost like an uh, an abdication of responsibility. Oh, we've got Amazon, so we'll be fine. We don't need ops engineers. Right. You totally need ops engineers yeah, yeah. because you need people who understand how that stuff works, mm. so that they can interpret when weird things are happening. Right. Yeah. Somebody's got to be able to make the phone call when it isn't working mm -hmm. and articulate what the problem is and understand the responses to make it work. Yeah. And and well, you don't need a team of people to do that that you used to have because of all the all the uh, the pets around your uh, data center, right? Now you're little snowflakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Now you just need to have one or two people uh, that can handle all the, the the meta information. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You're a bit more leverageable. That's you know. Yeah. It's more of a head up role. You know, long time operations was a very head down role that you were you were in the trenches mm -hmm. all the time. I'm. I'm spinning screwdrivers and racking and stacking and keep, you know, keeping the lights on kind of things. Mm. And now it's more of a head up. When are we going to run out of capacity yeah. in this cloud implementation? When, it, you know, what are the new things we need to use to keep going here? How is my security actually, you know, yeah. what, are, what are the reasons we get blindsided by security faults is that they're, they never act on you. You know, we're normally in the pounding surf as operations people just try to put out fires, which on one hand, is really nice because you know what to do every day, mm -hmm. right? It's just, there's just one crisis after another. Yeah. But before the breach, and heck, even really after the breach, it never acts on you. You know, by the time it, by the time a security violation acts on you, it's because it's in the press, and the person acting on you is the CEO. It's, mm, it's someone, right? someone in management leading. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is I see this as the next stage in a broader narrative. Um, that I've been talking about for a while, and it's the impact versus likelihood narrative. Yeah. yeah. So when you think about risk, 
Um, and again, this is this comes from our kind of uh, civil engineering forebears, if you like. Mm -hmm. Is we've always obsessed about likelihood. Right. So everything about project planning, everything about you know front loading analysis, and then architecture and design, yeah. all these, all these, uh, we, we think of these as like the the higher risk areas. If we can nail all the requirements, that reduces the risk there. And then if we can get the architecture right, that reduces the risk there. Right. So that programming is effectively a typing exercise. Yes. Yeah. And so that's the kind of the received wisdom. Um, one of the things that I think the Agile movement did that I think we don't talk about enough is it flipped that focus from likelihood to impact. Mm -hmm. um, and what they said was, if we can make the impact of a bad thing really, really low, right. we can kind of care less about when it happens. Right. right? You don't and have so to spell, spend a lot of time trying to prevent that trying bad to prevent thing happening. Because it's not expensive. Expect that it's going to happen. And so things like test-driven development. right? I'm right. going to, the likelihood of me introducing a bug as I code asymptotically and approaches one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The more I type, <laughs> the, the more, more likely, likely there is. is there's a bug. Yeah. yeah. Now, now in the old days, that's that's a coding problem, and it goes into you know someone's mm. going to get upset. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas now, if I'm writing tests ahead of writing that code, the uh, the test fails or the test doesn't pass in the way I expected. Yeah. Like almost zero impact. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm working on a thing, and and Rich is working on a separate thing, and they both seem to work, and we bring them together, and they don't work. Right. Well, well, we find that out on the build server. We find that out in continuous integration. Right. So, so we break the build. Right. So one of us buys pizza. Yeah. You know, again, <laughs> very low impact. Right. It's not kind of we find out 18 months later in a six week integration exercise. Right. That's going to cost us another three months to resolve. Yeah. Because we're moving so fast and stuff's still in our head, we can actually get back to it and sort of figure it out in, in less and less time. Absolutely. And so, so what happens is with, with this sort of drive towards automation, automated testing, automated assurance, mm -hmm. um, means that we can then be a lot more relaxed about likelihood and that kind of that culture if you like is has now pervaded into things like architecture um and things like operations so i think it was john allsport that said about the uh you know having ten thousand hours meantime between failure on a hard drive mm. sort of matters a lot less when you've got ten thousand hard drives right right you know the the, the it doesn't mean that one of them's failed because because no. stats doesn't work like that yeah. no. but it does mean you have a much much wider yeah. Um, variants, right? And, well, yeah. and, no, and no, no bit on any given hard drive is a special snowflake. Mm. Right. And and the, the data is striped across many places, and any one of them, and any number of them, can fail. And generally speaking, you know, you protected your data, and mm -hmm. you build resilience in. And it's not just at the data level; it's at the architecture level. So you get things like Netflix with Chaos Monkey. You can lose servers, and no one notices. You can lose no. data centers, and no and one no notices, notices because you know, you've built the resilience in. You reminded me of a story a friend of mine told of being an old computer guy of using uh, punch card mainframes where mm -hmm. mainframe compute time was so valuable that you sat with your cards and executed them in your mind. Or they actually had template paper for you to walk through the execution of, yep. your, of your code to be sure it was going to work. Because if you ran a stack of cards and got an error, it was a waste of compute. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the, that your time was less valuable than that compute time. Well, if you turned up with your cards without a test spec, right. they just not, laugh at you. They're like, not going to run that. You don't know what this is going to do? Well, then mm -hmm. get out of my building. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to waste <laughs> compute on that. And, and it's it's like we've been working our way from that mm -hmm. all the way through to this. The cost of failure is so extraordinarily low. Just keep running it until you find a way that works. Yeah, you know, the, and and are able to do experiments. Don't worry about preventing failure constantly when failure is so cheap. Yeah. And this is where, and then, then we flip the the metric. We don't care about MTBF anymore. We care about MTTR, like right. mean time to resolution. Hmm. And if I can make the perceived time to resolution near zero, yeah, or zero in the Netflix case, then 
you know, there's trees falling in the forest all the time. It's right. just a normal thing. <laughs> yeah. Your job no, is no, to... No one's hearing them. It's fine. We're all good. Yeah. 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 Your, your, your job is to clear the trees out. Yep. Right? But that's not part of the real-time process. It's, you know, asynchronous to, to the production process. Yeah. And Making sure make nobody hears the trees. Yeah. Well, exactly. Well, exactly. And, and, and you have a sense of the delta of the trees. Say, when, where, when are we going to run out of trees? Right. When, when is this going to become consequential? Yeah, well, yeah. Do we know why this yeah. is going on? Can we control that rate? Yeah. And there's the, 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 the story about Google. I don't know if this is true, but I, I would be very surprised if it isn't. Where they, they don't, you know, they're, they're getting alerts and monitoring about, about failed servers all the time. Right. They wait until a data center hits a critical percentage of failed servers before it's cost effective to have an engineer go out there and replace them right wow well let's right. talk about no point that. going out for just a handful sure <laughs> in the in the public cloud model they say they run those racks until 10 percent of the hardware is failed yeah and then they down the racks and they get replaced and they've never taken apart they're literally lifted out as a unit and a new unit is oh, put yeah. in but we sort of i sort of did this on a small scale when i ran my own shop too you know with hard drives because you keep a hard drive in a server and it's been going along fine for a couple of years yep. after a while you're like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that doesn't smell so good. Yeah. Things gonna burn out real quick. I think yeah. uh, you had you had this experience where you had an exchange server. I think it was, and you you had it on for years. And when you turned it off and turned it back on, it wouldn't come back. No, we could right? reboot. In the way this was a customer's machine, where he said, you know, would you mind? I was doing a hardware evaluation and found a set of machines. They were like original SCSI drives. Yeah. So they and were they hadn't seven, been eight turned years off old. in seven years. And they could be rebooted and stuff. But uh, mm. my expectation was the, the they run so hot for so long, the case was warped. And I'm like, I expect that when these drives go cold, they will simply never turn again. Yeah. Wow. And so we were, we were moving workloads and so forth on them. And finally, it's like, there's nothing on this machine that's important amount. I'm going to shut it down. We powered it down. And, you know, let everything spin down. And you literally heard as the drives wound down, they suddenly went, so it starts pinking. <laughs> Just that little, you're like, that's not a good noise. Yeah. Hard drives shouldn't go tonk, tonk. And they, and I, and they were it's hot. on my list of noises that yeah. hard drives shouldn't hard go. Hard drives should go, <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to just stop turning, but it's like, no, that was, what, that was the bearing letting go. And it's each drive, boop, boop, boop. It's like, well, that's, that's not a computer anymore. That is a piece of modern art. <laughs> that is now a very warm paperweight. Yes, I call this ode to heat distortion. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful but well, you know found it in time yeah. right? the funny part is like if they'd had the right outage and gone cold with a power outage all those machines would be dead mm. it just didn't happen that mm -hmm. well and this is this is uh it's a great example of um i see this a lot people talk about being risk averse and really what they're talking about is being change averse right mm. and a, re a a really effective way of managing risk is lots and lots of small changes yeah because a each delta is manageable yep. and also you get good at small changes right that's the so, same way if you're practicing an instrument right yeah. you know you don't just go from zero to virtuoso you have to do lots of little small technical drills and every single thing is is, is increasing your capability yeah. and 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 the more you and, and it's it's the, the more you do those those drills and the more you do those you know practice your scales and, and basics it's not just that you're doing them many times you get good at doing them yeah yeah, yeah. you're good at, good at being okay with doing them yeah they never get easy. Though. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Well, guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to play Cloud Ops Whack-A-Mole. Oh. Hard disk approaching capacity? Whack. <laughs> Database maintenance required? Whack. <laughs> Cert expiration imminent? Whack. <laughs> Subtle rate increase will result in a loss of $4.5 million a year? Whack, whack, whack. <laughs> 
This reminds me of that, that old horror show. It was like a Fox Pro database with an access back end. Oh, no. <laughs> you're, you're poking all my fears, man. It was a Halloween It was special. a Halloween bit. Uh, it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Brett M. Miller. This is Brett. Woo-hoo! Yeah. I'll flap for you, sir. What up, Brett? Yeah. And Brett just won the D Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at Developer Express. And if you don't know what we did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree Whoa. to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. All right, Dan. It's been a year. It's been a year. It's been a year. What would you buy with five grand? Well, so I just did. Or yeah. five large. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, not, not quite five large. All so right. um, my, my little MacBook Air that I've had for four years yeah. has been joyful. Uh, I, I went into the Apple store and I was, what, what I want, what I wanted was a retina that. Yep. Okay. It's been a great bit of kit. I wanted a retina that. Yep. So you've got the MacBook, which is retina, but it's not as powerful and stuff. And then I looked at the Mac, the, the, the new MacBook Pros with the, um, with the, the yeah. slice of Apple Watch on them. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and, <laughs> slice of Apple Watch. and, I love uh, it. and, and I thought, oh, it's ridiculous. And then I picked it up and it's really light. Oh, wow. So it's not as light as my Air, but it's a lot lighter than the old MacBook Pros. So I thought, well, shall I? And so <clears throat> I just dropped um, uh, an uncomfortable amount of money on a <laughs> <laughs> brand new MacBook Pro. So you did get the fancy one. I wow. did get the fancy schmancy. It's got a terabyte of hard drive. It's got 16 gigs of memory. How do you like um, USB 3, is it? or C? USB-C. USB-C is weird. It's funny enough because I, I have this bag of like, you know, peripherals and stuff right. that I have in my... So what I've got with my dreams. yeah exactly what, <laughs> what I've got with my with this new thing is a single lump yeah um, that has uh, VGA it has mm. HDMI it has USB regular mm-hmm. USB C yep um, and it has a physical network port mm-hmm. and so I have one dongle yeah nice. and so I, I suddenly <laughs> I've got it's actually much more, I've rationalised my dongles yeah yeah um, however I don't know if I'm going to stick with it mm. <sighs> interesting so because battery life. Yeah. So the, the reason I got the original MacBook Air is it was the only laptop at the time, four years ago, yeah. that had an all-day battery. Yeah, yeah. And that's still kind of pretty important to me. Okay. Yeah, no um, kidding. And the, and the battery life is not that good? I, I'm still putting it through its paces. I just, uh, to be fair, actually, shout out to Apple uh, Tech Support. Mm-hmm. I went onto their website and I had a little uh, one-on-one chat with a tech support person called Emma, mm-hmm. ah. uh, who was fab. Okay. Super helpful and... She said, have another couple of weeks to evaluate it, decide what you're going to do. So it's still in that evaluation phase. Right. Okay. Yes, that was uh, about two and a half thousand pounds, which is something like $28 now. Yeah. 
um, after seventy five dollars, something so 75, like that. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So you got a couple of I don't know a couple of uh, coffees. Uh, <laughs> Could have got a latte in, in New York in New or York. a MacBook Pro uh, in in, yeah. in, London. in London. You could have yeah. got a shot of espresso in Oslo. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> most of a shot of espresso. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, so MacBook Pro. Um, I've got to say, chaps. The, we've talked about this before. I, Rich and I particularly have a have a thing here about our uh, QC20, oh. our lovely Bose QC20 earphones. Yep. Uh, the new Bluetooth QC whatevers. Bit disappointing. Oh, you got them, did you? Well, no, because all the reviews. So the reviews yeah. are basically saying not as good noise cancelling as the 20s. Right. And as soon as you go outside, if you have wind, yeah, you just it just all stops They're working. They're bad. Uh, it's terrible. Which is. <laughs> That's yeah. a shame. I it's really, shame. really wanted to like them, but that's like a lot of bucks to blow on something that's pretty much rules out. Cheap. It pretty much rules out all outdoor exercise. Literally, you know, on the yeah, yeah. Well, so, and you yeah. could use them for flying, I guess. But the earbuds, I mean, just because you can sleep in them so nicely. Just, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I uh, ended up in um, on a fishing trip. Had to sh- had a, had to share a, r- a room with a, a fellow fisherman who was a heavy snorer, and the QC twenties. Mm-hmm. Knocked it down enough that I could sleep. That's Maybe pretty good. just enough. Yeah. yeah it was just make, make it go away. It just took the edge off. So it sounds not, like it's in another room, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just far enough away. Yeah. Just put them on, plug the USB charger in so they would last the whole night mm-hmm. and, uh, laid them up over my head so they were behind me. So if I rolled over, I wasn't strangling myself with the cord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yep. Yeah, the more, and then slept. So. And off you went. Yeah. I don't, I let those, don't let those things too far out of my reach, man. They're magic. Yeah. So the other tech thing I would say I'm 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 not a I'm not a Windows man anymore. I took the blue pill and I'm I've been in, in Apple land for some years now. Yeah, I was okay. a Linux kid and then went Apple. I, I like to have a Unix prompt under my uh, fingertips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have been nothing but impressed with the Surface Pro Four. Mm. It's a really really nice bit of kit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm there's with a whole you. tranche of those like uh, HP's brought out a really nice, um, very flat, very slim laptop. There's a bunch of really good uh, Windows kit coming out. It it really helps that Windows 10 is a very performant operating system. Yes, they've really thought about it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It ain't no Vista. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're continuing to do the thing one way or the yep, other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to drive back into this, and I'm going to go at it from the angle of you know you're talking about they don't all have to sit in a big pile and be holding hands all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. But you also want to treat them as equals, which in my mind means they do need to get together on a regular basis. Like eat. The biggest thing I found dealing with this particular challenge of how do you make these really high-performing teams, you want to call it DevOps, whatever makes you happy, was before we got too far down in architectural exercise or, you know, planning a next set of features, you kind of need to check in with ops. So, no, I think you're absolutely right. And what, what I'm seeing happening, and it's making me very happy, is there is a much more of a feedback loop coming from downstream right. around what it means to architect an app well. Yeah. Um, so Goiko Ajic was talking about um, how his his experience report around serverless architectures um, this morning at NDC, <clears throat> and he was saying it's like it's the first time there's been an economic model that rewards good design, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is brilliant. So yes. if you have if you have a clean separation of concerns, small modules, independently deployable, um, you massively drive down your operating costs, and you can also identify the OPEX against each basically function in your right. system. You really know what the individual operating costs of each one of those features is. You know what the contribution is, you know yeah. what the effect is, you know what the, what the bottom line cost is. And so you're starting to get this feedback loop because you've done instrumentation. Right. And so what, what I'm driving towards when I'm having a technical conversation with teams is that there's a symbiosis. So 
the operations guys are providing that path to production as a um, as a service, as a self serve. Yep. So I want to be able to self serve provisioning, self serve release, self serve deployment, self serve monitoring. But the 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 table stakes for that is I want to build and deploy things that are instrumented, have telemetry, do phone home. Um, you know, when all those decisions are made, there's not a big conversation to have with operations. No, right? no. Like if you're living in AWS Lambda with a set of standard instrumentation and and, and uh, logging rules and so forth, like it's it's as if you had this architectural conversation once. Yep. It's like this is how we're going to build more stuff so that we you know that the mon- you know how to deploy it, you know how to monitor it. The ops guys are good. Well, and you, you get to that Nirvana where, where the only code you're deploying is your business code. Yeah. It's the stuff I, have, I have no plumbing. The plumbing's done. Yeah. Right? I literally, the only thing I have is do my stuff. Yeah. I have a function called do my stuff and I deploy it and now it's running in a do my stuff space. <laughs> which is, which <laughs> and the plumbing is, is essentially fiat, right? It's like this is yeah. what Amazon provides to us. Yeah. And uh, our operations folks have grappled with that and understand how to operate it, how to read it, know when it's in problem, know how to re- re- recover it. And so the the dev folks now can go off and just build those chunks of JavaScript. Well, exactly. And, and, and what it means is, you know, people talk about vendor lock-in. It's, it's only vendor lock-in in that I haven't bothered writing that stuff yet. Right. <laughs> if I were to go and write the same stuff, I would now be vendor independent. Yep. <clears throat> so what it gives me is the optionality to try things much more quickly and much more inexpensively. And the stuff that's good, I could maybe take it out of the cloud and put it in my internal data centers. It is and, just <clears throat> and pay the cost yeah, and pay the cost for deploying that sure. later. Well and each of the different clouds has their their variations on this, right? I think about Azure's app service models. Mm. They're very mm-hmm. much the same kind of serverless attitude with a similar instrumentation pack. It's just a different environment. Yep. And yep. You, if you were going to go that way for whatever reason you wanted to switch away from AWS Lambda, you'd have a conversation with operations about, do you know how to monitor this? Do you want to, you know, go, can we deal with this? And then, uh, and then make your move. Yeah. And, and, and they do, and you're absolutely right. And that this, this is the, the due diligence piece is, yeah. is to understand what it is. Cause it's not a, uh, you know, like the, the, the old sort of, uh, process per request in, yeah. in Apache or something. Right. You know, it's not, we don't spin up a new thing and then as soon as it's finished, we dispose of the whole thing. That's massively expensive. Mm-hmm. So we need to understand what is the life cycle? What do I get for free? What's, what, what do I need to do in order to leverage that? Mm-hmm. How's that different at Google? How's it different at Amazon? How's it different at Microsoft? You know, at Azure. Um, so, so that, so that I understand what it is that I, that I need to do in order to benefit from that. I have a question for you. And Richard, you could probably answer this one too, because you're, you've done this. You're going into a company and you're, you're brought in as the guy who's going to make things change, right? You're, you're an agent of change. Mm-hmm. You are the chaos monkey. I, I'm the, I'm the irritant. Yeah, you're an irritant. <laughs> that's right. And so in order for your, your suggestions and your changes to work, People have to be really trusting you and mm-hmm. invested in what you say and be willing to try it. And so a lot of what you do is changing uh, or suggesting changes to behaviors of people. You know what I mean? Yep. I mean, you're, you're yep. suggesting, okay, instead of you doing this and sending this, the, you know, this process the way you're going to do it now, it'd be much more efficient if blah, blah, blah. And this, this is what, the way I see it. And uh, I guess what I'm saying is, it's such a human skill to be able to communicate 
you really need to be able to do this without being a jerk. You know what I mean? Without <laughs> without pushing the ego button. Mm-hmm. And it must just be like, uh, how hard is it? Like, uh, it, do you find yourself being a psychologist as much as a technician? Uh, that's and, a really interesting question. Um, I think what I try to do, I think un- underpinning all of this is empathy. Is If you can't, see things from another person's perspective yeah i don't think it's going to work because you can't communicate to them otherwise unless you know unless they know that you understand what they're the way they see it there's a there's a lovely quote a lady called virginia satir who um she was the first family therapist so before her you had child psychologists you take your broken child along and the psychologist would fix it and give your child back and she introduced family therapy she said it's like systems thinking so she said the child's behavior is the output of the system that is the family so let's go and look at the family, and then we can understand what the child's behavior is. And they go, oh, you don't need to see us. Go fix our child, right? right. Yeah, 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 right. And she would do a lot of this. And she had this lovely principle. She said, it's about what's called positive intent. And she said, everyone's trying to help. And right. so in other words, whatever, however toxic someone's behavior is, or defensive, or aggressive, or whatever it is, at some level, they are trying to help. Yeah. And so to understand them, what must be true for them such that that behavior is helpful? Mm. And I yeah, find that wow, really right? challenging. Right. Yeah. So someone's being really aggressive. You're going, you're being an arsehole. No, you're not. You're trying to help. Yeah. What must your worldview be such that actively sabotaging, you know, yeah. being obstructive, whatever right. it is, shouting at people in meetings is helping. Yeah. And then you think, well, okay, what, what would have to be true for me for me to be doing that? I'd have to be terrified right, that yeah. you're about to destroy something I've spent 20 years building. Yeah. Right. So maybe I'd be coming from a really defensive place or losing my job or losing my job. Yeah. Right. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no spring chicken and I've got dependence and I don't know what my next job's going to look like. And you're about to make my role redundant. I yeah. don't know this. And so, so I've got to start once you can understand, even hypothesize why someone's behavior might be that, like, what's true for them such that they're helping. I find that gives me a lot of insight into how to reach them. And what I've, what I've found, I've been doing, working with um, a large retailer at the moment um, over the last year or so, <clears throat> and a bunch of kind of financial, um, like big banks and things. Um, and with all of them, it's a similar journey, which is they've got really, really good at doing the thing they do. Unfortunately, the thing they do isn't the thing they should be doing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And this goes, this, and the, the, the fundamental thing underpinning this is cost accounting. They're very, very good at resource efficiency rather than flow efficiency. So oh, wow. what that means, let me, sure. just, let me just unpack that a minute. So resource efficiency is, you know, I've got Carl and I've got Richard and they're really expensive guys. I hope you're really expensive guys. <laughs> so I've got these two really expensive guys. And if they're anything less than 100% busy, I'm not getting my, my money's right. worth, right? So but if have, they're doing the wrong thing... Well, it's not even that. Or, it's or that doing it's, it wrong. E- even if they're doing the right thing. If they're 100% busy, that's great, right? So that's it. Yeah. The problem is that if you look at, rather than measuring the workers, you measure the work, then what's happening is we've got work getting stuck because these guys are 100% busy. Right. right because okay. they're all, they're, you know, you don't, you, you're never 100% busy. What you are is 90% busy and 10% context switching. Mm. Right. <laughs> or 80% busy and 20%. You're basically always thrashing around somewhere. And so work gets stuck. Mm. And so what we're not doing is measuring the flow of work through the system. We're measuring the busyness of each person. Yeah. yeah. You, and, I did this in the, in the keynote today, right? This absolutely. This is output, yeah. not outcome. Outputs and, and both of those are important to measure, right? Mm-hmm. So output metrics are what's the health of the system. Right. Like, is, is this thing working? 
outcome metrics are does it matter yeah right? does it matter <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> now the problem is that even even with that sort of model we measure the wrong output metrics right we measure busyness of stages of the process rather than flow of work through the process and that for me that's the big insight to land once senior management understands that they've been measuring the wrong thing they jump they seize on they go oh wait so wait a minute when you talk about efficiency it's value for money right well again go back to risk adjusted value it's not value until it's live and right. it's not live because it's stuck in a queue somewhere mm. because carl's 100 percent busy because he's got a timesheet to fill in yeah 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 and if he's less than 100 percent busy he gets dinged as opposed to no one cares who's busy or who's not busy everyone's obsessing about lead time about the flow of work yeah. right and once you start on that journey things like you don't need to sell devops you don't need to sell agile yeah. You're it saying, what's happens. the fastest way we can get the idea that's in Carl's head into running code in a production environment so we can decide whether it makes sense mm -hmm. and measure it? That has and, then we get to, and then we get to our outcome metrics right. and then we have our full circle and we can say, do you know what? This is actually working. We should do more of this. Or we thought that if we did this piece of work, it would increase customer retention. And we've done some A-B testing and it's had zero impact on customer retention. And luckily, it was a small experiment, so it didn't cost us much. And let's do something else. Right. So I can imagine that the, the, the problem people would be those who are trying to discredit your, uh, your experience, your, your wisdom, and you know, you know, your, your methods. Right? I mean, I get, uh, what, else, what else do they have to, to complain about? Well, so, so, so th th this goes back to uh, Peter Drucker, the, the famous American management consultant. He says, um, there's nothing more, so I'm going to paraphrase, there's nothing more disheartening um, than seeing people being absolutely fantastic at the wrong thing. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> and and so, so what we have is a model where uh, all of our, you know, things like project management. Yeah. Um, m there's, what I found is when you start on this sort of journey, it, people polarize. Yeah. So at one end, you've got a bunch of people going, you know, where's my Gantt chart gone? Where's my tools gone? Where's my stuff that I hide behind or that, that my, my kind of illusion of certainty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get the other end, the, the, the people saying, um, oh, thank heavens for that. I can get some work done. Yeah, right. You know, all that, all that crap went away. All that yeah, dross right. went away. I can actually get on and do stuff now. And, and, you know, reaching these guys, reaching the guys who are like hiding behind their tooling, that's a challenge. And yeah. I'll be honest, not all of them make it, right? right. It's sad when they don't. But, yeah, yeah. You know, there's plenty of other places who are still using those models where they're going to be perfectly happy. Right. But in order to build an effective lean organization, we need to start thinking about different tooling. We need to start measuring flow and flow efficiency rather than measuring resource efficiency. Yeah. And that, it's a, it's a fundamental shift and it causes all of the other things to break. Right. And I can imagine, you know, people who know that they're not important and yet they hide behind all this crazy work that they do. They're the ones that are going to be mo the most threatened. And mm -hmm. so they'll probably stand out pretty quickly. And then when you optimize for flow, it turns out they don't have much to do and well, then they get let go. Well, and, 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 and sometimes it's, you know, there, there, there's a positive side to that is that they believe they don't have anything to offer because that's how they define themselves. Right. But actually, they have a huge amount of organizational knowledge, a mm. huge amount of relationships with people in the organization as well. Sure. And there's enormous value in them now helping that new system flow better. Well, okay. because the old, they have to start kind of the old system themselves. rewarded busy work. And most yeah. people know they're doing things to look busy. 
not necessarily being productive Absolutely. because they get punished when they don't look busy. Yeah. yeah. And if you get good at that and suddenly somebody stops, anytime you're good at something and somebody stops valuing it, you're pretty upset. Ah. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like, hey, I got really good at looking busy all the time and you're telling me not to do that. I don't know that I'm actually good at the other thing. I've got a, a, a really good story. So, uh, and this is driving this point home. So uh, last year, 2016, was the year of the Franklin Brothers Band. I have a 10-piece horn band, and we are awesome. And we mm-hmm. go out and we play. I have this mixer that's a box. So instead of taking a mixing desk and hiring a sound man to sit somewhere out in there, um, the sound man uses an iPad, and everything's just connected by Wi-Fi, and he can control or she can control every aspect of the sound from the iPad. And from anywhere in the room. And not only that, but all the musicians. Well, next door in the bow. Yeah. (laughs) All the musicians have in-ear monitors, in-ear headphones, like your your Bose headphones. They go right in your ears. And they, on their iPhone or their iPad, can control their own mix of everything that they hear. That's fantastic. Yes. it's So there's no monitors, and it's a great system. And I, I, I demand, when we go to a bar or a club or whatever, to play that the sound guy work with me, that I show him how to use this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not going to use your mixers. We're going to use this. So we did this gig. And the guy was like, this is great. This is awesome. I can just. And then and then he's like, hey, um, can uh, I, I got a little problem here. I, I, I Because my boss is going to think that I'm not doing anything. So I got to stand here back here by the mixer. Is that okay? Because <laughs> if he doesn't <laughs> no, think that absolutely. I'm doing it, my job. He's going to say, what do I need you for? And, I'm gonna, and I said, how can I possibly hear what it sounds like from the stage? You are the ears. Now you have a tool that lets you do your job better. And I, and I, and yeah. I just made it easy but, for you and made you do your job better at the same time. He, you're absolutely valuable. Yeah, there's a win-win-win here. I know absolutely. my boss needs to see me twiddling with That's levers it. otherwise. He, yeah. was, he was so worried that his boss was going to not pay him for the night because <laughs> he didn't look busy enough. Because he didn't look busy enough. Well, and, and this is, this, I think this is probably the most fundamental shift is we're going from people doing things to people enabling things. Right. Yeah. And this goes right back to our operations guys again. Sure. Is we have a mentality where I submit a ticket and an operations person does a thing for me. Mm. And their value is in doing things. But then, of course, they become the bottleneck, and so then that, and that gives them power, ironically. Right, right. no, yeah. Whereas sure. we want to shift the whole thing around and say anyone who's a bottleneck is a liability. Right. right. And landing that message. And so the thing where you used to be this really high-profile person, you now don't want to be the really high-profile person, and you start yeah. getting into providing everything as a service. So, so it, goes from, it goes from doing X to enabling X. And so my, uh, my network engineers, um, my, you know, my DBAs, they, 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 if they're doing that job, they're probably, uh, you know, um, getting in the way. Mm, if yep. they're enabling that job, then work is flowing better. Yeah. But now they're, there's a, a friend of mine at Google, he says, we've got the best uh, um, uh, operations engineers I've never met. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it is. Stuff Every, just works. It, it stuff just works. Yeah. Right? I, I've never met these guys. They must be incredible. Yeah. Right. right? Because, because this. They're transparent. Yeah. 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 Does the thing by itself all of the time. And I think a lot of people want to be, you know, the, the, the hero. Yeah. You know, they want to be in the center of the action. And unfortunately, that's a bottleneck that, that inhibits flow. So is, is all this pretty much the lean, the Toyota way? I mean, what you're describing here? On a, on a basic level, yes, it's all lean operations. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, the di- one, one profound difference, though, is that when most people think about lean, they think about lean production. 
Yeah. They think about the Toyota production line. Right. And you know, single minute exchange of dies and and all this kind of Toyota lean stuff. Sure. What they don't ask themselves is like if you look at a Toyota production line and they all these Priuses coming off the line, which car? Right. How do they design that car? Mm, right. And there's a whole nother set of activity that happens called product design, product mm. development. Mm. And you can apply the same lean principles to product development that you do to the manufacturing yes. piece. But the, the forces are in exactly the opposite direction. So what I mean by that is this. In, on a production environment, I'm going car, 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 car. I want all of those cars to be identical. Yeah. So I want to optimize to minimize variance. Right. right? I want to have... Get all that consistency. Mm. I, want, I want all of that consistency. When I'm developing products, I want the opposite. If I have the same idea twice, that's waste. Yep. Mm. Right? I want every single idea to be different. And, wait, and yep. you only want to put energy into the unique new contribution. Absolutely. Mm. And, mm. So, and so the, the, the lean sort of mantra there, if you like, the maxim there, is to maximize discovery. Right. Now, discovery is surprises. Yeah. So the thing that you're maximizing in product development is the opposite of what you want on a production line. Mm. Sure. And what we did in the 90s were brilliant, you know, great, great, you know, Western management picking up lean and, you know, Toyota and going, this looks really good. Yeah. Is we've picked up the, the manufacturing piece and we overlaid it on product. Yeah. Right? And so uh, Six Sigma. Six yes. Sigma was an, an American That's invention. Right. Um, it's a control invention. It's brilliant. It's things like, I want Six, six Sigma is about kind of statistical deviance, uh, statistical vari variance on, on, on manufacturing tolerances. So I want Six Sigma on, uh, um, brake discs, right, in yeah. a car or on you know, braking tolerances on, on heart valves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. those All are kind incredibly of valuable as long as you want every one of them to be the same. <clears throat> so everyone to be the same. And so what happened, the 3M applied it to their product division, right? Motorola right. <laughs> applied it to their, and they nearly went bankrupt. Yep. And, yeah. And they went, oh, you know, Six Sigma's evil and rubbish and stupid. It's not. Yeah, it's brilliant right. at doing exactly the opposite of what you wanted. Isn't that <laughs> interesting? <laughs> it's very and and true. So, so if you look at, well, you can look at software development there's a whole bunch of activities right up until I have my software. Mm. So things like analysis, design, testing, programming, these are generative, they're mm -hmm. creative activities, mm -hmm. all of them. And then once I've got my code, mm -hmm. right, everything from then on, I want to be completely deterministic. I don't want to compile and get Every time I compile, it's just a little bit different. Right. Right. Yeah. So you want it. You want, it's not really a feature. <laughs> bit of a surprise. Here yeah. you go. Here's some different bytes. You want yeah. creativity and experimentation when you're creating the template. Once you have the template, you want a cookie cutter everything. Once I've got my deployable artifact, I want the path to production to be absolutely deterministic. Right. And so what we need to bear in mind is applying, and this is right up in the product development space, is to apply lean product development thinking to the front end of the process mm. and from the point where I've got my desired deployable thing to the point where it's live and running and all of that, that should be completely deterministic and, yeah. and, and a manufacturing metaphor. Mm. And, and what we've done spectacularly, go us, is, is manage to misapply that. So a lot of what I try and do with organizations is get them thinking in that product way. That's cool. Yeah, it's, a, it's an old human story that when we have something that works, we tend to apply it everywhere. Yep. You know, yep. and I, I believe there's an adage about a, a metaphor-shaped hammer. And a yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> metaphor-shaped hammer. I love it. That's a nice way to put it. Well, what's next for you, Dan? What are you doing now? What's next for me? So I am. I'm having a blast. I'm so I'm working with a major UK retailer mm -hmm. on a what we're hoping is the last transformation. Yeah. Right. So we're well underway with that. We're a year into that, um, and a bunch of other organisations as well. So. Um, on the technical side, I, I'm, I'm not doing nearly as much hands-on technical stuff as, as I like to. I, okay. I, I plan to redress that. Um, but so, so mostly doing consulting, advising, um, coaching, training, um, 
in the org design org change space yeah and and still getting getting into kind of devops and pastor production type consulting as well so that's that's where i'm at at the moment this is great well thanks for sharing for free this uh, incredible brain droppings of yours it's just awesome talking to you every I, time. I, I love hanging out with you guys it's an absolute pleasure <laughs> all right it's always fun man <laughs> yeah all right and we'll see you next time on dotnet rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a